what is going to be our foundational passage for this entire series. It's in Psalms chapter number 27. Grab a notepad, grab your Bible, grab your tablet, smartphone, and in the Waterview app under Digital Worship Guide, you're going to find all the notes as well as different upcoming events. But we're going to be looking each and every week, basing this series, wait a minute, on Psalms 27 and 14. And here's what it says. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now I want you to go with me to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five. And here we're going to begin looking at a narrative that starts at verse number 21. And this is what it says. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. And just then a man saw that it was Jesus. So he pushed through the crowd and he threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus saying over and over. And for those of you that are parents, grandparents, for those of you that love children, hear the urgency in his voice. Hear the desperation. Please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death and she's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her and she will live. And immediately Jesus went with him and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all that she had on their treatments, she was getting worse instead of better. And when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched the hem of his robe. For she kept saying to herself, if I could touch even his clothes, I know I'll be healed. And as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it because she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and he started talking to the crowd saying, who touched my clothes? And his disciples answered, what do you mean? Who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. Everybody's pressing up against you, but Jesus' eyes kept sweeping the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him for healing. And when the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear and threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had just happened. And then Jesus said to her, daughter, because you dare to believe your faith has healed you, go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. Now, we've been so sucked into her plight and her dilemma that we forgot perhaps what has brought us to this point. Do you recall that it was Jairus, a desperate man had come to Jesus and said, please, I need you to do something for me. I need you to come to my house. I need you to do a miracle. Well, they've been delayed. His answer has been delayed. And because he's out of sight, he's now out of mind. But now we're reintroduced to him and the unfolding drama in his life. And before Jesus finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house. They pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. 
Your daughter has died. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is to keep on believing. And I want to pause here and say to someone that is joining us on this online experience, that is a word from God for you. If you don't remember anything else from today, remember that Jesus was not just speaking to Jairus. He's speaking to you and he's saying, do not yield to fear. All you need to do is to keep on believing. In the words of Journey, who actually just were in concert right here in the Charlotte area this past weekend, don't stop believing. That's right, don't stop believing. So they left for Jairus' home, but Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with them except Peter and the two brothers, Jacob and John. When they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler, they encountered a noisy uproar among the people. Everyone was weeping and wailing. And when they entered the house, Jesus said to them, why are you going crazy like this? Don't you know the girl's not dead? She's just asleep. And everyone then started ridiculing and making fun of him. So Jesus threw them all outside. And then he took Jairus and the mother and his three disciples. They went into the room where the girl was lying and he tenderly clasped the child's hand in his. And he said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, Wake up from the sleep of death. Listen, two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the God who could overcome death. And if he can overcome his own death, he can overcome death in someone else's life. Instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up, stood to her feet, and started walking around the room. Everyone was overcome with astonishment in seeing this miracle. And what I want to talk to you about for the next few moments as we kick off this series is this, just because he has been delayed does not mean that you have been denied. You see, no one, not a one of us, likes to wait. We see this early on when our child is asking us if they can use our phone and we say, I'm doing something, wait a minute. They become increasingly impatient. And they start getting agitated and then they resort to pestering because no one likes to wait. And we enter into our teens and we're looking for the next birthday. I just can't wait until I'm 16. I can't wait until I'm 18. Can't wait till I'm 21. As young adults, I can't wait to meet the person that I'm going to marry. I can't wait to get a job that's going to give me more money. We do not like to wait. But here's the reality of the matter we spend the majority of our life waiting. We, la- we wait in traffic. We wait in carpool lines. We wait in holding patterns. We wait in grocery stores. We wait if we're a golfer for the foursome in- ahead of us. We wait for the doctor to call us back into the, the medical room, even though we had an appointment at a specific time and it didn't start at that time. We wait on a spouse. We wait on a baby. We wait on retirement. We even wait on sermons to get over. And like we read about here in the story of Jairus, we wait on Jesus to move in our life. We wait on Jesus for breakthrough. We wait on Jesus to give us answered prayers. However, waiting on the Lord may be one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life. 
So let's look at this story of Jairus, what's happening. Jairus comes to Jesus, and notice a few things about him. The Bible says that he was a ruler, and he had a reputation. He, he was well-known, so the man was used to being in charge. The man was used to making things happen. The man was used to people responding honorably and favorably to him. He was probably a guy that would say jump and people would immediately say how high. But crisis has now visited his household. Trouble has come as close to him as it possibly can and his 12-year-old daughter is sick. She is ready to die. So Jairus makes this journey to Jesus and again, if you're a parent, you can relate to the urgency in what is playing out on the inside of him. The emotional storm, the, the frantic thoughts and behavior. In fact, I love this narrative because there is so much tension that plays out throughout those verses. Jairus is like, Jesus, please come. My daughter is getting ready to die. There's nothing else that I can do. Please come. And so they start towards Jairus' house. It, it appears as though Jesus is responding immediately. But as they go, there's tons of crowds, tons of people, and they get delayed. And as they're trying to push through the traffic, a woman who has been sick for many, many years comes and touches Jesus's robe and, and is immediately healed. And Jesus feels the power go out of him and he asks, who touched me? Now he asks this question to his disciples, to the people that are immediately around him. But keep in mind, there are hundreds, even thousands of people in the masses. So he asks, who touched me? And he's scanning the crowd and he's trying to figure out what has just taken place. Think about it. That process in and of itself takes time. Jesus is delayed just trying to figure out what's happened. Then the woman owns up to it. Look, Jesus, I'm desperate. I didn't know what else to do. And I've been looking, I've been looking for a reprieve. I've been looking for a miracle. I heard that you were the miracle worker. And I'm the one that touched you. And so then Jesus now starts engaging with her. More and more dialogue is taking place, which again takes time. Jesus is even more delayed. And all the while, because of the plight, because of the drama, because of the situation that this woman is facing, we are sucked into her story. For any of us that have had long-term illness or have dealt with a prolonged time of pain and difficulty, we can sympathize, empathize, and relate to what is happening. And we're thrilled that she's been healed. But this is where the great tension lies because we're now drawn into her story and the miracle that's happening in her life. If we're not careful, we forget about what has originally brought them to that point. We forget about the fact that Jairus is waiting in the background. His daughter is only 12 years old. Let's put this into perspective. His daughter 
has only been alive as long as this woman has been sick. 12 means something completely different to the, to the two parties. This woman's been sick for 12 years, but Jairus' daughter's only been alive for 12 years. And as all this is happening, you can imagine what's racing through Jairus' mind. No doubt he's in the background. We don't hear him saying anything. We, we don't hear him complaining. We don't hear him saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Come on, you're so delayed. This is going to mess everything up. Why are you doing this to me, Jesus? But oh, I kind of picture him, although he's quiet, I picture him in the background standing there, shifting from foot to foot like the child that needs to use the restroom and the sign says the next rest area is in 25 miles. He can't sit still. And then to top it all off, as Jesus is delayed, somebody comes to Jairus in the wait and says, Jairus, just give it up. It's over. Your daughter's died. And in that moment, it looks like because Jesus was delayed, it meant that Jairus had been denied, like his prayer hadn't been answered. But the rest of the story says that Jesus goes with him, and when they get to the house, he goes into the room. And the same Jesus that can heal a 12-year-old girl and raise her up is the same Jesus that can raise up from the dead a 12-year-old girl. And that is exactly what happens. And in the end, although there was a period of waiting, and although it seemed as though Jesus was going to be delayed forever, in the end, Jairus got exactly what he was needing and exactly what he was hoping for. You see, when Jesus promised that he would answer Jairus' prayer, when he promised that he would come to Jairus' house, when he promised that he would do a miracle for Jairus, he instructed Jairus to wait. He said, Jairus, wait a minute. And I know that many of you can relate to this because you have asked for Jesus to move in your life. You have prayed. You have called out to him. You're looking for breakthrough. You're looking for him to come to your house. You're looking for him to do a miracle for you. But hear me, when we pray, there are potentially three answers that we're going to get from heaven. The first is yes. In other words, Jesus does exactly what we are wanting him to do. The other potential outcome is no. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to answer this prayer. And then the third answer is what this series is all about, what Jairus had to deal with. Jesus says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is there anyone here right now engaging with me and with this faith family? Is there anyone that is feeling like Jesus has said to you, wait a minute. You are feeling urgent. You are, are, are feeling frustrated you are feeling like the end has come, like you've been denied, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Undoubtedly, like Jairus, you have discovered that that is much easier said than done. You know, the Bible says this, 
A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. What does this mean? It means that God's idea of time, God's timing is vastly different than our idea of the passing of time. So think about it like this. There are in one day, in one 24-hour period, there are 1,440 minutes in a day. So in God's time, one minute, so if one day equals a thousand years with God, that means when he says, wait a minute, one minute with God can equal nearly eight and a half months. That's a long minute. That is an eternal 60 seconds. And can I get an amen? Is there anyone that knows what I'm talking about? It means when God says, wait a minute, we may be waiting a while, but waiting is not just something that we have to do while we get what we want. Waiting is the process of becoming what God wants us to be. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is that we are waiting for. Waiting, biblical waiting, is not a passive waiting around for something to happen that's going to allow us to escape our troubles. Waiting does not mean doing absolutely nothing. Waiting does not mean that we are just fatalistically resigning. It's not a way to evade some kind of unpleasant reality. Those who wait... Those of us who, like Jairus, are committed to waiting a minute are those of us who work because we know that the wait, we know that the work is not in vain. The farmer can wait all summer long for his harvest and not get too impatient and not get too bent out of sorts because he has done his work of sowing the seed and watering the plants. And those who wait on God can go about our assigned task. We can do what God's called us to do, what he's equipped us to do, what he's purposed us to do. We can go ahead. We can live fully alive. We can flourish. We can live fulfilled. We can make our lives matter because we'll be confident that God is going to provide the meaning and the conclusion to our lives and the harvest of what it is that we've been trying to do. Waiting is, hear me today, the confident disciplined, expectant, active, and sometimes painful clinging to God. It's gyrus when his world is turned upside down and according to his perception of passing time, it looks like the sands are going through the hourglass too quickly, but yet not saying nothing and just hanging on to the promise of God. And when we do this, we know with confidence that we are going to reap our reward. Hear me today. The first thing that I want to leave with you is this. Waiting on the Lord requires patient trust. And if you're anything like me, that might give you some pause. That might put some chill bumps on you because I am not a very patient person. You know, here in the, in, in the United States, in our everyday lives, we live by the adage, don't just stand there, do something. 
We hear this from the time we're little kids. Hey, don't just stand around. Get busy. Do something. But God does just the exact opposite. Often God says to us, hey, what are you doing? Don't just do something. Don't just be busy. Stand there. Stand and stand and wait and see the salvation of the Lord. And why is that? It's because waiting means that we give God the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he is doing. And it's also a proving ground. The wait, no matter how long it is, whether it's just a few days, weeks, eight and a half months, or years, the wait is a proving ground because it is God's way of developing our character by seeing if we're going to trust him before we move forward. And that trust, hear me today, has got to be a patient trust. Whether it has to do with our relationships, with our finances, our careers, our dreams, our churches, we have to trust that God knows what he is doing. Remember when we're in the tension of the narrative and Jesus is ministering to this hurt woman, this broken woman. She's getting what she's longed for, what she was desperate for. Jairus is in the background and he's going out of his mind, but he doesn't say anything and he waits. He patiently trusts. And the thought occurred to me that if he or if you or I, if we let ourselves or if we let our faith get impatient, if we start to push and if we start to rush and if we start to complain, if we or our faith get impatient, we will end up begrudging someone else the miracle that maybe they have been waiting for their entire lives. If Jairus would have been impatient, if he would have been unwilling to just wait a minute, it would have been very easy for him to get bitter at the woman that we're sympathizing with and that we're rejoicing with God over, he could have gotten bitter and angry saying, why does a woman who's only been sick as long as my girl has been alive, why does she get precedence? We cannot allow ourselves to get impatient because God is working. And just because he has been delayed does not mean that you have been denied. And just because someone else is getting their miracle in this moment doesn't mean that you are not going to get your miracle somewhere else down the road. The second thing I want to leave with you is this. Waiting on God reminds us that God is in control. And so you got to let a couple things register if you believe that. Those couple things are, if God is in control, then I am not in charge. And this is key because look at Jairus. The Bible specifically notes that Jairus was an official, that he was a ruler. He was used to being in charge. But if God is in control, that means I'm not in charge. It means that I'm the patient. It means that I'm in the waiting room. And in the real issues of life, I know you want to find your soulmate and live happily ever after. I know you need money to pay those bills. I know that you're wanting that, that medical situation to get turned around. But in the waiting room of life, in the waiting room of the troubles that can afflict us, we're not just waiting around. 
We're waiting on God. And because we are waiting on God, because we're not waiting on happenstance or circumstance or luck, we can trust his wisdom and his timing. We can trust in his character and in his capability. I've heard it said before that the person who waits on God loses no time. That means I can wait with confidence because I'm waiting for someone and that someone's God. We also, if we're going to believe that God is in control, we also have to believe in our hearts and minds that if God is in control, then I'm not God. And sometimes as a man, that can be a challenge because as a man, I want to fix things. We have any other fixers. When something's not right, you want to get busy. You want to fix. You want to tweak and, and tinker. I want to fix my problems, my relationships, my conflicts, my career, my church. But fixing and controlling situations and people is like trying to expedite the rising of the sun. It's like trying to hurry along the blushing of the rose. It's like trying to, to expedite the, the time of pregnancy. From time to time, I've got to be reminded that I am not God and you are not God and aren't you glad for that Bruce Almighty, what a great movie, reminds us all of that. Aren't you glad that we're not God? All our job is, like Jairus, is just to surrender. And then the next thing that I want to leave with you is this, waiting on the Lord allows God to do his work. God is working. You see, not only do I want to do God's work when I want to step into control and to being in charge, but I also want to speed up the process. I want to accelerate it. I read recently that the father of the modern missionary movement, a man by the name of William Carey, he waited seven years before he ever saw the very first person in India make a fresh start with God, before he ever saw someone give their life over to Jesus. And you know, as a, as a father and as a pastor leading an organization, I want to speed up growth and maturity in my boys' lives. I, I want to I speed up the growth process of my church and all of its ministries. And I, I see much that, that they could do and much that we could do and should be doing. I see so many different unmet needs. I can see all the things that are wrong and all of the things that frustrate me. I see the hurts of people. And when we're talking about the growth of our church, I'm driving through neighborhoods here in Mooresville, here in the Lake Norman, North Charlotte area, Iredale County, and I am bombarded at the thought of so many people who are going into eternity without Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus. And, and I'll be honest, God's given me a vision, has given us a vision to reach those people. And I am sold out to it. And I am passionate about it. And I want it to be a reality now. We just launched our church one year ago, but already I want us to be reaching thousands, not because I want a huge crowd. It's because each person each face, each name has a story. Each person, each name has a soul, has an eternal resting place. And, and I want to do what I can to help them make their life matter. And so 
I'll just in my moments of frustration be questioning God, whether it's about my sons or about the church. And maybe with you, it might be about your business or your stagnant romantic life or whatever the case may be. And we'll ask God, why not now? Why not bring it to pass today? But here's the thing. God's timing is best. God's timing is best. Let that sink in. I know that we think that we know best, but God's timing is best. This is what his word says. The prophet Habakkuk records God speaking. And the second chapter, the third verse, he records God saying, this vision is for a future time. Whatever it is that you're hoping for, that you're waiting for, God says, this vision is for a future time. It's describing what is to come, the end, and it's going to be fulfilled. And then look at what God says. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. In other words, just because it seems like what Jesus needs to do in your life has been delayed, it does not mean that you have been denied. Come on, Jairus, just hang in there. Hang in there, Jairus. God's moving. He's working. He's going to take care of it. And this is what I've learned about God. God is willing to inconvenience you and I right now so that what he ultimately predestined in your life will come to pass. And then the second thing today as we talk about how God is doing a work and that when we wait on him, we're allowing him to work is just the confidence in knowing that God is working. During the times where we are waiting on the Lord in whatever arena of our life, we have got to know that deep down inside, the wait is not just for nothing. We got to know that he is working. We may not see it, We may not be aware of it, but he's working. And while it may be underneath, while it may be something that he's doing hidden deep down in our character, we're going to in due time see because God's going to reveal everything that he has grown in us, everything that he's done for us. And those who wait, and I know you've heard God say to you, wait a minute, but those who wait will never ever be put to shame. We're never going to be disappointed because delay does not mean denied. And the last thing that I want to leave with you today is this. Waiting on God increases our strength. It's like we've gone to the gym. It's like we've been hitting the weights, like we've been putting in work. It increases our strength. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I struggle to remember that it's good to wait on the Lord. I struggle whenever he says to me, hey, Jason, wait a minute. Hey, Jason, hold on a minute. It isn't easy because it goes against the grain of my quick fix mentality, my my microwave approach. But there is a benefit in waiting. In times of waiting, our soul is revived and our spirit is renewed. Isaiah Chapter number 40, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And this is what he records. Chapter 40, verse 31, he says, But those who wait for the Lord, and I love how the Amplified puts it, 
gets into a little more explanation. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, who look for, who hope in Him, they're going to gain new strength. Come on, say that with me. Strength. They're going to gain new strength and they're going to renew their power. They're going to lift up their wings and they're going to rise up close to God like eagles rising towards the sun. And they're going to run and not be weary. They're going to walk and not grow tired. Look at all the benefits of waiting. You're going to have strength. You're going to renew your power. You're going to be able to soar. You're going to be able to run. You're going to be able to keep on walking. Those of us who are in the wait are going to see the result soon enough. And like Jairus, we're going to see a conclusion that leaves us all breathless and that leaves us all speechless. God is the great mover. God is the great miracle worker. God is the one who answers our prayers. And if we will wait, if we will wait with patient trust, remembering that God is in control and he is doing his work, he is increasing our strength, we are going to experience the move of God on our lives and in our church. And there's going to come a day that the shadow of the Savior is going to pass through the door of your house, your need, whatever it is that you've been waiting for, and you're going to see him, whether he's healing it or whether he's bringing it back to life, you're going to see him do what you have needed him to do the entire time. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray today for those of you that might be far from God, those of you that may not be where you need to be with Jesus. I'm going to pray that you'll make a fresh start, that whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, that you'll come near to God. And then I'm going to pray for those of you who are hearing from heaven, wait a minute. I want to pray for all of you gyruses. I want to pray for you to do just like those of us needing to make a fresh start, that we'll just surrender to Him, that we'll let Him be in control, that we'll let Him be in charge. Come on, close your eyes with me and let's pray this prayer. Jesus, I trust you. And as hard as it is to say that, I want to say it again. I trust you because I believe that you are God. And I believe that you have my best interest in mind. And I believe that you are going to forgive me of my sins that you're going to make me a new person, that you're going to change my life, that you're going to answer my prayers, that you're going to do the vision that you have put in my heart. And so I'm asking you today, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you today, make me a new person. I'm asking you today, God, to, to visit the parts of my life that are needing your attention where I feel so urgent, where I feel so desperate. Come, come, come. I need you. And Lord, I believe that you're going to give me exactly what I need. I believe that from this day forward, I'm going to be a brand new person. You are the Lord and the leader of my life. I'm going to keep on trusting you. So in the meantime, teach me your words and show me your ways. And I'll follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.